Good morning. Uh, my name is Johnny, and it's my privilege to uh, read the Word with you this morning. So if you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We'll start in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Well, there you have it. As we leave our Bibles open, perhaps we should spend our time, since it's such a short and uh, very memorable parable, we could just spend the remainder of our time memorizing it. Uh, We could do little Bible drills uh, together, and then we could have it with us as we go. And I do hope that our time this morning would be profitable to you to receive this word, such a simple Such a clear and profound parable. Mark chapter 4 here. As we spend our time in Mark chapter 4 over the last few weeks, we began with really a lengthy parable, a bit of an excursus as as Mark explains a couple things to the disciples or explains Jesus explaining a couple things to the disciples and then Jesus unpacking that parable of the four soils in the first half of Mark. You can see it there in front of you. We considered how the sower sows the seed, a way that it's received by four different soils with four very different results. Really the distinguishing factor between the seeds is whether or not the seed takes root and bears fruit. Three, it does not. And in one, it does. After a lengthy telling and explanation that we saw there in the first part of Mark chapter four of that parable of the four soils, Mark then records for us and sort of collects together three parables that Jesus told that are very short and simple, quick parables at the end of the chapter. And they seem to be there at the end of Mark chapter 4 to emphasize the main point of the first lengthy parable. So it's like he preaches a sermon for us in a lengthy parable and then accentuates that sermon with three pithy, simple-to-understand points in these last three parables. The bottom line is this. The Word of Jesus requires our attention and is mysteriously powerful to work transformation in the world. You'll see that if you look at the parables. It's very clear. Now, last week we considered the first of these three parables at the end, the second half of this chapter. We considered the lamp that is to shine up on a lampstand. The lamp, who is Jesus, so that, so that we would look to him in his teaching and draw close to him in his person that we might have the light of his revelation that it's by the light of Jesus that we come to understand all things. Then today we're going to look at the second of these parables, and I pray that we would give attention to Jesus in his word this morning. So let's pray together to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true, and your word is powerful as we will even see in the passage this morning. We pray that you would give light to our hearts, our eyes, our minds, and that we would receive your word with faith this morning and and know what it looks like to walk in it, not just as individuals or even households, but as a congregation together, what it is to walk in light of the powerful word of the Christ. Your word, 
We pray that you would do this by your spirit, that you would prepare the ground of our hearts to receive you, your word, your gospel word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we begin this parable, you can see it right away in verse 26. Look at it with me. He said, the kingdom of God as as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, period. What kind of kingdom? If I asked you what kind of kingdom is the kingdom of our Lord, he's describing his kingdom right here. He's come to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. He's been clear about that. Mark's been clear in recording for us that Jesus is, is unpacking for us and describing for us what is the kingdom of God like. I would ask you this. How would you describe it? If, if I gave you an essay, all of you are like, I'm out. <laughs> what kind of church is this? All right, if I gave you an essay and the prompt that I gave you was finish this sentence with a, a beautiful parable, the kingdom of God is like. And then you go and fill it out. How would you write it? What struck me in reading this parable is the ordinary, ordinary way that Jesus describes the kingdom of God. Friends, if if I'm thinking about the kingdom of God, if I'm about to describe it, if I'm about to write an essay or a parable or a powerful image about the kingdom of God, I don't begin it with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like if a man should scatter seed on the ground. That's boring. That's not powerful. That's too normal. Seed on dirt kingdom, go. You know? It's too, too common. Now, what's interesting is the kingdom with the day of the Lord and so forth was expected to come with flashes of lightning and judgment. You see the sickle at the end of our parable today? The kingdom of God was expected to break in with a sickle, a sickle of judgment. But instead, the kingdom comes in like a man, scattered seed on the ground. You don't get much more humble than that. There's something instructive for us in this passage. In the Old Testament, the faithful, inspired word of God, we have other descriptions of what it will look like when the kingdom of God breaks in. We have Jesus' description now compared with Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 10, just as an example. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald the good news. Now we're talking. Here's an essay. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Now we're talking kingdom, right? Behold, the Lord God comes with Might, right? You can see it. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And his, ah, recompense. There's a word for you. His recompense before him. That's beautiful, lofty language that is worthy of following the kingdom of God is like. Right? Isn't that what we're expecting? And Isaiah is true. It is the inspired word of God. So what is Jesus getting at here? 
what's shocking about Jesus' announcement of the kingdom, and it is throughout the whole of the announcement, is that he tells us the kingdom's coming is far more discreet than that. The most immediate application of this parable is the incarnation and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Nobody was expecting this. They would have if they would have looked more deeply into the prophets with faith, but I know that I wouldn't have. I needed to hear the words of Jesus. I I and you and those who were here hearing this parable needed to heed the words of Jesus, the king who was coming And he comes discreetly. The most immediate application is the incarnation. The the parable is a description of the first coming of Jesus. It's, It's a description not of the power and glory and might and strength and judgment of the kingdom that is to come, but how God will bring that kingdom. Now, if you're talking about a mighty, glorious, all-consuming, powerful, reward and recompense sort of kingdom, you would expect it to come with armies and so on, right? But that's not how he achieves it. And that is the upside-down nature of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is A kingdom is all of what Isaiah said. And Jesus will affirm it as he preaches the gospel. And then he'll perform it as he preaches the gospel. And make no mistake, when he returns, we'll see it in all of its might and glory. But the way in which he accomplishes, procures for himself that kingdom is completely unexpected. The growth of his kingdom will be a mystery that is not easily explained by the ways of the kingdom of this world. I'm gonna say it again because we need to hear it. The growth, the establishment of the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ is not easily explained by the ways of the kingdoms of this world. At its core, his ministry is the simple ministry of the word, the simple ministry of the word. Yes, he will return in his second coming. He will judge the living and the dead. Recompense and reward will take place. He shall reign forever and ever. But in his first coming, in his procurement of the kingdom, he does draw great crowds to himself, but few understand and nearly no remain. And so that's why he says such things as he came not to judge but to save. He came not to be served as a mighty king, but to serve. Why? He is instituting his kingdom, not the ways of the kingdom of the world. Jesus is the coming of the kingdom, but his coming is largely unobserved. I mean, think about when the king is born, right? You don't get any more humble than that seed planted on the ground at the incarnation of the Son of the living God in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. 
But make no mistake, he is coming again. When we look at Jesus, when we look at his humility, when, when we see him riding in on a donkey into his kingdom, but once he gets there within a week, he's dead on a cross, right? He's coming again. And he will ride in. If you read anything about his coming again, he won't be coming on a donkey this time. And we will see all of the might and the glory of the kingdom that he has secured, as he describes in this parable. I love Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And you're like, you just want to say it again, and ever, and ever. And then the chorus kicks in, and you just keep on saying it, and then it breaks into an hallelujah, right? How did he do it? How did he, how did he secure that? Well, there was a man, and he went out in the field, and he scattered seed on the ground. It looked like his incarnation. It looked like the establishment of the gospel among a people that looked like it didn't even work at first. You see, the kingdom of God is established by the simple and eternally powerful word and work of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is established by the simple and eternally powerful word and work of Jesus. No man, no matter how great or small, may make any claim to the establishment of the kingdom of the Christ. No one establishes it. Jesus does, and he does it right here in his ministry. Jesus is scattering the seed of the kingdom as he preaches the gospel and as he gives his life as a ransom for many, which is the central point of the gospel of Mark. Jesus is giving of his life as a ransom for many. Establishes what? A mighty kingdom? Are you serious? That's not how it works. He slays all his enemies. That's how you establish a kingdom. Come on, Jesus. Mm -mm. Not the way of our Christ. He establishes kingdom by giving his life as a ransom for many. That is the seed upon which he establishes and grows his kingdom. I want to offer this first and simple application of the parable. The kingdom of God is not associated with triumphalistic notions of man. And there are many, aren't there? Even the choosing of the word triumphalistic is intentional. The word's being used too much these days. You and I will not establish the kingdom of God. And friends, I know because that's what Jesus does but we're gonna strengthen and grow the kingdom of God, right? 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 No. No, the triumph is in the man who scatters seed on the ground and goes to bed. And the kingdom is established. We will not establish the kingdom. We won't grow God's kingdom. We will not usher in the kingdom. If you ever find the words uh, about you or the church or really much of anyone but Jesus ushering in the kingdom, evaluate and search the scriptures carefully. That is a triumphalistic notion that this parable just seems to exclude. We don't usher in kingdoms. The kingdom of our God 
is, a man, is as if a man should scatter seed. The power of the kingdom, its establishment, its increase is by the word and gospel of Jesus Christ alone. That's it. That's the parable. The kingdom of God is established and grows because Jesus has come and he's the king and he will increase his kingdom in our midst by his word and his work alone, not by our great strategies and our wisdom or even our confidence and boisterousness. Friends, inevitably, the disciples did stuff like that, right? And every time he did, they did. Every time the disciples got a little loud, Jesus just shut them down and started washing their feet and stuff. No, it's not our triumphalistic notions of establishing a kingdom. It's Jesus and his gospel is sufficient. You can see the application, right? Two words, humility and confidence. It's right here in this passage. I think if I was to summarize Jesus' purpose in this parable, it is humility and confidence. You and I are not the power of the kingdom growth, but where the seed is planted, there is a great harvest coming in the morning. This is the second application of the parable. The first application, the most immediate context, is the ministry of Jesus himself. But for us, we also have the application of the miracle of growth. Not just the humility with which Jesus comes in his incarnation, his ministry and his, the performance of the gospel even to death on a cross, but also the miracle of the growth. Jesus himself is the word, his life, his death, and his resurrection is the humble, unassuming means by which the kingdom of God springs forth by his word. But the second application of the parable is to extend the ministry of Jesus through his church, to extend the ministry of Jesus. Whose ministry? The church's ministry. I didn't say that. The ministry of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the word of Jesus through his church. That's humility, and a humility that we can walk forward with with a great deal of confidence. You and I are not the seed. You and I are not the word, but we become stewards and heralds of the word. Friends, if you look at the book of Acts and the establishment of the church, it is every time explicitly, over and over again, the establishment of the church, the extension of the word is by the word and by the spirit through the church. But friends, that's just like almost a side note. The power is not the man who went out to scatter the seed. It's the seed. It's the seed. It's the word and the spirit that works to plant that word in good soil according to his will and wisdom. We, like John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, are not the Christ, but we bear witness to the Christ. We go with the word of the gospel that is the seed of the kingdom. We do so in humility that we know we are nothing, but he is everything. So we must decrease and he must increase. This is the ministry of the word. And it is, I love this phrase. I didn't make it up. And honestly, the dude that I got it from, I don't think he made it up either. (laughs) It is the word that works. It is the word 
that works. We believe fundamentally that we must be centrally devoted to the word of God and that we must exhibit that devotion through faith-filled prayer because we believe that the word of God is at work in the people of God by which anything that is godly will actually take place. Anything that is fruitful, any grain that might spring forth is the result singularly of the word of God, not our devotion, not our strategies, not our kindness, our love, or our ministry, or how good of a church we can be, will spring forth no fruit, the word. If there's any fruit at all, it's the word. Because when the word of God is scattered, and when the word of God is the means of ministry, we have a great confidence That seed, man, it grows. And so we scatter. We scatter as a humble people, scattering bold seed. That's the work of the minister of the gospel. As I said in Acts chapter 12, it says it explicitly and repeatedly throughout the whole of the book. But the word of God increased and multiplied. I so appreciate that repeated phrase, the word of God increased and multiplied. I love that the, the, you could have said the church grew, right? You could have said that, and it would have been true, and it wouldn't have even been bad to say. It would have been descriptively accurate, but it's not descriptively true of the means. How did the, word, how did the church grow? The word increased and multiplied, the seed. Look at verse 28 with me. The earth produces by itself. Where the seed lands, plant grows up. The blade, the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. It's just like that 30, 60, 100-fold fruitfulness. How is that? The word, the seed that is planted. Steve Timmis is where I got that phrase. It is the word that works. It's not the church. It's not the minister. It's not the strategy. It's not the method. It's the word that works. Steve Timmis writes this, I think success in ministry is seeing the word of God taken by the Spirit in the lives of the people of God and just changing them, making them more like, i just pause there, and just, you know, changing them. You know what I hear in that phrase? I hear the words from verse 27, sprouts and grows, he knows not how. You preach the word, you preach the word, and the Spirit does something, and people change. I don't know. He just changes them. He makes them more like Christ, and non-believers being attracted to the kind of corporate life of the church, and seeing, this is so essential, the gospel as the only explanation for what is going on, and then responding in repentance and faith the gospel as the only explanation of what is going on. The key to that quotation is found there, that that is the power and the mystery of the parable. The singular cause for fruitfulness in the harvest field is the seed of the kingdom. And that seed is the simple and clear gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you can see the application again right here for us. 
Jesus, his word and work is the unassuming seed of the kingdom. All growth, all fruitfulness finds its origin in Christ and his gospel alone. That is a simple, true fact of redemption. All growth and fruitfulness finds its origin in Christ and his gospel alone. Insofar as it is his word, his gospel that is spread, we can be assured that there is a harvest according to the power of the seed itself. My goodness, the implications are thick. You're just waiting for them. Some of you have already written them down, right? That'll preach. Just waiting for us to pay attention. Here's what Jesus tells us. The final application of the parable is actually found squeezed between 26 and 28 in verse 27. The man scatters seed on the ground. That's humble, that's simple. You know what he does next? It's even more silly. He sleeps and rises night and day. Now there's a description of the powerful ministry of the gospel, right? There was a man, scattered seed, went to bed. Then he got up the next day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't even know how. There's a ministry for you. How about that mission and vision statement? I want to remind us that Jesus is not only the seed, he's the first sower. We are only sowers of the seed because he's commissioned us as the church to make him known. And we're wanting, he knows exactly what the seed does. It's his seed. It's his gospel. He is the essence of the whole thing. He's the performer of all that which is righteous and good and, and performs the sacrifice that is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. He's the fullness of what is the gospel. He knows. But we who are sent in the field after him with, just to repeat that same word, to know, understand, receive, and repeat, that word, we're like looking around and saying, man, stuff is growing up around here. I went to bed. I woke up the next day and there's this like thing growing out of the ground. We have no power. We have no power in and of ourselves any more than any man in a field can claim that he made the seed grow. No farmer's ever, 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 ever done that. Nobody ever makes the seed grow. The seed just grows. Look at the actions of the man in the field. These are the great duties of the minister of the gospel, the sower of the seed. Here are the great duties. All right, write them down because you want to know what to do. All right, he scatters the seed on the ground. Okay, step one, scatter the seed. Make known the word to which you have given attention. Give it the attention to make it known. Step two, go to bed. I don't like this. <laughs> I do. I do like this. He sleeps. He doesn't get to stay there. He rises the next day, night and day, and that's it. There you go. The rest of the sentence is about what the seed does. Look at it again. All right, you're memorizing it. You're working on it. Look at verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed, what's the subject of the second half of the sentence? Not what the man does. Nope. He slept. The seed sprouts. The word grows. And he wakes up the, day, the next day. He's like, I don't know. I was sleeping. 
Now, I said that that's all the man does. He scatters seed, goes to bed, gets up the next day. That's not actually all that he does. He does one more thing. He knows not how. That's the third act, that's really the second activity, right? Can we, can we include going to bed an activity? Is that like task number two? All right, we'll keep it. He scatters seed, he goes to bed, and then he knows not how. Not only does the sower not have the power to make the seed grow, he can't even unravel the mystery of the seed growth. He simply knows and observes that it does, and all of this is while he was not sleeping. The point is this. He is not the laborer nor lord of the harvest. He is simply the seed spreader. And the Lord God is the lord of the harvest. He makes it grow. He simply knows and observes what it does. This third application is by extension as we are ministers of the gospel. Jesus is the first sower and he has made of us not only the fruit of his seed, but also those who are to go with his word. It's part of what it means to grow up and grow into the ear and then bear fruit. That bearing of fruit is to yourself become one who spreads the seed. So, our business is humble and very straightforward. I, I, really. Like I've actually given you the model for ministry that we have received from our master. Spread seed, go to sleep, don't know what's going on. It's, it's not silly, it's humble and straightforward. Our ministry is seed planting and then to sleep or wait or faith. I think is a, is a description of what's going on there. Faith in the power of the seed that has taken root in your own life. You know it's gonna work elsewhere if it worked in you. So what does seed planting and sleeping look like for the church in Brevard County? At CP Coast, we do two things, okay? This is much of our seed planting labor. We gather to remember the gospel and to celebrate the, the beautiful fruit of his gospel in our lives in celebration service. Did you labor in that this morning? I called you to it, didn't I? Didn't I remind us that we have been called into this place and that we've been, the way to approach the holy God is by his grace that you and I would make known the glory of his name. Did you? Did you sing at all this morning? Because I told you there are people in this room that need to hear the word from your mouth. How do I know that? I do. I know I do. I need you to preach the word to me in three songs at the beginning of the service and three at the end. What do we do? We remember and celebrate the gospel in celebration service. And the second way that we go about this, very simply put, is we scatter to live in light of the gospel in community groups. These are the two basic structures or environments in which we go into this seed planting labor. We do it as we gather in this context, and we do it as we scatter into peoples that live their lives all over this county. And in both of these environments, the power that is at work among us is the work of the gospel alone. And then we go to sleep. To sleep is to confess that the power is in the seed and the hope is in the Lord of the harvest. We do not believe that it is the word, do we, do we believe that it is the word that works and not us. I'll tell you, what do we do in these environments? Well, we preach the word, right? 
We share the word. We pray over the word. We read the word. We pay attention to Jesus. We praise his name, right? All word work, all seed scattering work, right? And then we eat a lot. (laughs) I think that's a lot like sleeping. At least it takes about the same amount of effort, right? We eat a lot. We get together, we enjoy meals, and we say, God, where'd where'd this harvest of community come from? Well, we made it. We did a bunch of stuff to create community, and we've got all kinds of neat structures and ways that we require people to do things in community, and we require people to love each other and everything. No. Why do we eat together? Because we believe that Jesus made us a family by his word. And it's by eating together, it's like we're sleeping. It's like we're resting in faith in what his word has accomplished. We believe that his word worked. And he made us a people that can eat around his table together. In fact, we believe that when he comes in the might of his kingdom, what he secured for us is a whole table to dine at in his presence forever. And we're just eating here for a little while, waiting, waiting, sleeping, resting in his work. How do we know the seed sprouts? What does it look like to rest? It looks like eating together. It looks like praying in dependence together. It looks like confessing our sin together. It looks like faith over and over again that the work is in Christ. I know that one of the places that you find me on a Sunday afternoon, for any of you who have ever hung out with me on a Sunday afternoon, is at a meal table, maybe, but guaranteed a couch. All right? I'm busy. I'm scattering, scattering, and scattering. And this sower along with you who have joined me sitting on that couch a number of times, and I know where you go on a Sunday afternoon. Rest. Sleep. Sleep. Yes, not just sitting on the couch. Sleeping on the couch. I know that something that I am prone to often is to ask Sandy, so how was the sermon today? You know what she's told me a few times? She's very kind sometimes. She sort of pats me on the back and says, it was good, honey. It was good, honey. She's begun to tell me a few times, you know, you're messing it up for me because you're making me evaluate you (laughs) rather than receive the word that you preached. And really, that's a very kind word because what she did is she preached the word back to me, didn't she? And she said, what if you rested in the word that you preached too? And not think that there was some labor that you were about that you need to be anxious in. A number of years back, we did a series called Mission in the Suburbs. In that series, Uh, David Head wrote a number of articles particularly uh, helpful in that series. He points to the way that we tend to commodify everything in our culture. And then we put many things on the buffet table of the culture to be consumed by people's various appetites. Now, you'll notice what happens when we do that in the church now. That's hard. You ever tried to satisfy somebody else's appetite? That's not a restful labor. That's not like, well, let me just scatter it out there and see what you like. No, you got to work, and then you got to ask everybody, did you like it? Were you satisfied? Was that the particular treat and delight that you were looking for today? But we tend to do that not only in our culture, but we tend to do it in the church. The danger is that we would treat the gospel as something that needed to be commodified for your enjoyment. But really, we just treat it like another option to make your life better. And friends, that's not the gospel anymore. That's not the gospel anymore. Here's how David Head puts it. Here's the challenge. 
Apart from some very careful, intentional thoughtfulness, the evangelical church and the gospel message may become just another item on the buffet table of products and services spread for suburban people. In the pile of mail on the kitchen table, there's an announcement of openings at the new Pilates class, a discount on teeth whitening from the dentist. I'm reading this. I'm thinking, did he look at my mail? All right. I know how he wrote this book. The community college, adult education schedule for the fall, and an invitation to the church down the street, all four sitting there in your mail. And inevitably, the church ad uses the same language as the other. New, exciting, for the whole family, quality, and my favorite, relevant. And as I've looked at the life of Cross Point Coast over the course of the last nine years, I think new, I mean like we were, (laughs) At nine years, are you still new? But I'm excited for each new day. For the whole family? I mean, if there's one thing that we probably got on this one, it's like for, for the whole family, because the whole families just keep on coming, all right? But that's not what we set out to be, for the whole family. Quality? We're doing our best, all right? <laughs> but I wouldn't say it was ever a particular objective, Relevant? I'll be honest, I've thought about that word many times over the many years of gospel ministry. I don't even know what that means. Relevant? What's that even about? The point is this. Do we believe that the word works? And would you even need to advertise that? You might need to let somebody know that the word is working in a particular place. The word will be preached somewhere. Maybe an advertisement that just simply says, hey, address, the word's gonna be preached. Just so you know where to be for that. You know what I'd really rather? I'd really rather that they already know that because they live next to you. Now there's an advertisement. What if the face of the church was a people in whom the word was working and that we're going with that word to their neighbors and their workplaces and their schools and wherever God would place them? Or do we need to dress up the word put on some bling to really make it shine. Is that what relevant means? Like catchy to the eye of a consumeristic person? In the early days of this church plan, I told the congregation this. I can't change the church to meet what any one of you want any more than I can change the kingdom of heaven to fit your whims. I can't do it. Because the second I dress up the word to be what you want, We cease to be a church. What other means do we have to be a church? What other seed do we have to grow up among us, to make us a church, if it's not the simple, simple gospel word? I can't do it. because I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm a fallen preacher. I'm a sinner just like you. I'm saying I can't do it, and we remain a church. It's the word. The church is the people of God, born of his word and spirit. The end. We have no other seed to plant. We don't get to decide what the church is. That's the work of the seed. The seed decides what kind of plant will grow. And the Lord has decided that his gospel grows up his kingdom, the end. There's no 
other way. David Head offers that the alternative is to lead with the gospel of Jesus rather than the needs of the people. Do we believe that the gospel of Jesus will meet the needs of the people? Imagine if you let a three-year-old decide the meal plan, right? Imagine if you let a 44-year-old meat lover decide the meal plan. It's a good, good, good thing we have other people deciding the meals in my house. Our desires are messed up. And the Lord knows. He knows what we need to grow up on. The final application is the most encouraging of them all. It relieves the church of the need to perform up to a variety of cultural, and make no mistake, changing. The second you're relevant to one, the second you're not relevant to another, or not relevant the very next day. But we are relieved of the need to perform. It relieves the church of the burden of expanding the kingdom, of launching a movement, of growing a church. We long for this. It is our vision and prayer to see the kingdom of our God being known and manifest right in our midst. We long for this, but it isn't our labor. It's not our labor. It's not our work. Our work is to plant the seed. And it's the work of the seed to grow up and establish his kingdom. Our work is to plant the seed and go to sleep. Faith. I want to read this psalm for us and let this psalm commission us. Psalm 127 in the first few verses there. Unless the Lord builds the house, we preached on this just this summer, you know. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Our labor, our burden is easy and light. Why? Because Jesus has already done all the work. He's fulfilled all the righteousness. He's, he's, he's filled up all that is needed for any human being that you encounter to be saved. He's already done all the work. We just announce it. He provides everything that is needed for that great kingdom party that is to come. We just tell people it's coming. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a trial or an opportunity in ministry and I'm concerned for a household, or I'm concerned as we begin a, another community group, or, or as we establish a new congregation. We got two concerns on the north and south of Brevard County right now in Cape and Palm Bay. I'm concerned, and right there in the midst of that concern, I'm confronted by this parable and this psalm. In vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Anxious toil bread never tastes good never tastes good. He gives his beloved sleep. It's the Lord who works by his word. We sing it in a song by Wren Collective called Nailed to the Cross. It says, it is finished. Sin is vanquished. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All the glory, all the honor to my Savior, Christ the Lord. What would we add to that? What labor would we add to that? It's finished. The Lord in his incarnation has come in the most humble and unexpected of ways. But what he's done by his word and the work of his gospel has absolutely changed the world 
forever. What a humble beginning. And as we'll see next week, what a glorious plant has grown up from such a small seed. The word of the gospel sprouts and grows and gives birth to a great harvest. And Christ has done all of this while the people sleep. While we rest in the finished work of his gospel, the Lord grows up his church. And make no mistake, this morning I want you to hear this, every one of us. We ought to hear it as a warning and an encouragement. The Lord will come again. And everybody will know that on that day. It's not like a man who goes into a field to sow seed. It's going to be more like Isaiah. Let us hear that and be confident. Our, our God, who has borne such fruit within us and among us, is coming again. And friends, if you have not received that word, it's a warning for dead soils like the first three in the first parable. It's a warning. He is coming again, and he's bringing a sickle into the harvest. The question for everyone this morning is, have you seen the work of the gospel in your life? Have you given attention to him this morning and his word? Like this morning, like in the last moments together, I call you this morning at, at this point and in every point of the parables, the call is to give a faith-filled attention to Jesus in repentance and belief in his gospel. That's the call for every one of us this morning. Look to him and do not look away. Trust in his word. Trust in the work of his gospel for the forgiveness of sin and a life that is growing up within you by the power of his seed, his word, his gospel. And in that, he will receive great glory in the midst of his church. Before we pray, I know that central to the strategy for mission at Cross Point Coast has been this, that may, may we minister in such a way, may, may, our, may our strategies, our methods be done in such a way that it's obvious that not one single human soul in our midst did anything. May we minister in such a way that it's obvious no one here did it. May we minister in such a way that the gospel of Jesus Christ is highlighted so that if there's any beautiful fruit, all who see it would say, the Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. Let's sing. The Lord is great and good. Let's pray together. God, we have seen fruit. We've seen beautiful fruit of your gospel. We've seen salvation in our own lives and in the lives around us. We've seen transformation in the putting off of sin and the pursuit of Christ. We've seen your healing of wounds and sufferings and, and even as a result of our own sin or those around us. We've seen your kindness, your word, your gospel, the fruit of your cross and resurrection growing up in the midst of the church. And so we praise you. We pray this morning that your word would work fruit even this morning, and as we rest this afternoon, as we continue in Sabbath remembering, may part of our remembering be to sit down and just be the community that you have made us. Thank you, Lord. We trust that this morning, if there is one here who has not believed in your gospel,
that your word has gone out, we pray that your spirit would cause that soul to receive your word with faith. Lord, we trust you for these things. In the name of Jesus, the great Lord of the harvest. Amen.